Good morning. How is everyone doing today, kids? It's so good to have you here. I was debating whether or not I'm going to do this. I'm going to. Kids, you've probably met some of the people, parents, adults, you've probably met some of the kids. But kids, can you loudly, but not yelling, just say your name to the people around you on the count of three? Can you do that? Are you paying attention? No. One, two, three? They're not. Oh, okay, we got Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry and Abby. I appreciate that greatly. Well, uh, my name's Phil. I'm the ministry director here. It's a joy to be with you. And as Chandler said, kids make up 20% of our church. And so on occasion, we have everyone all in the same room. I'm going to try to keep my ADHD to a minimum of being distracted. I love having kids in the church service, mainly because I can look around and just see all the crazy things going on, but I might suddenly stop talking. We'll see what happens. Um, you may be asking yourself, well, why isn't a kid preaching today? And this was actually a question that was asked in kids' church a couple weeks ago by one of the leaders saying, well, all these kids are helping out in different ways. Who, which kid is going to preach? And Rachel, without missing a mark, said, well, Phil's preaching, of course. <laughs> And so, I mean, she's right. I am a child trapped in this body of an aging man with bad knees. Um, and I try to act like an adult and succeed some of the time. Um, so hopefully, kids, you will let me speak on your behalf and big people as well. Um, in Big People Church, over the past number of weeks, we've been doing a series called Encounters of Goodness. And every single week, we've been looking at a different way that we encounter God's goodness and are shaped by it. We've looked at Jacob and his dream. We've looked at Israel being led through the wilderness. We've looked at how gardens are being grown in graveyards. And then in the past week, specifically, we've been looking at practices that form and shape us to be the kind of people where others encounter goodness. And in kids' church, we've been doing a series called God Talks, and we've been trying to listen to how God speaks. And we've seen that he speaks in visions to Joseph, in dreams to Pharaoh, in burning bushes, and in the law to Moses. You'd think we planned it, but we didn't. And it just happens to be in this coincidental overlap that we've been talking a lot about the same things. We've been talking about how to encounter goodness and be shaped by it and how to hear God and listen to it and put it into our life. And so my goal today is to bring those two conversations together. God speaking and us encountering goodness, us listening and putting it into our life, and us being formed by people that are good, that people of goodness. And I want to bring both of those together by talking about a practice, communion. How does that sound? Kids, are you with me? Are we still on for now? Yeah? Okay, I'm getting a nod from the front. Love it. Today, I want to talk about communion. But it leads me to ask a question. How do you learn a new skill? I'm going to open this up to the kids just to see. Kids, how do you learn a new skill? How do you learn something new? Not sure? Jerry, how did you learn the Rubik's Cube? OK, you watch some videos. The main thing is you practice it. You put it into repetition. You do it again and again and again and again. A few weeks ago, Jerry was trying to teach me the Rubik's Cube, and I would not be able to learn. But he just had motorized every single skill into his fingers. He doesn't even have to think about it. It just is each trigger is going because he's repeated it again and again and again. If you want to get good at the piano, you practice your scales. You learn the distance of every note. So you just repeat it. 
again and again and again. You want to become great at swimming, basketball. It's practice. We're talking about practice. Repetition is the key to learning every skill because the goal of repetition is to internalize the repeated skill so that you no longer need to think about it. If you repeat something enough, then it just works itself into your muscles and the thinking goes away. But here's the thing. We practice communion every single week. At St. Pete's, we do it every week at different churches. They might do it every month. But throughout the Christian tradition for 2,000 years, we've been practicing communion. We repeat it again and again and again. But I think, and I'm convinced, that we've done it so much that we stop thinking about it some of the time. I mean, we'd come to church, we sing songs, we praise God, we worship, we kneel, we confess, we receive assurance, we greet one another, we hear a sermon, we take communion, we sing more songs, we go to lunch club, wash, rinse, repeat. And then slowly, as we take it in again and again and again, we can simply walk through the motions unthinking. But the funny thing is that when we repeat communion every single week, we essentially read these words, this is my body broken for you. This is my, for my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is meant to be a constant reminder, but the way we practice it can simply make it be a skill that we internalize and no longer think about. So today, what I want us to do is remember to remember. I want us to remember to remember. Are you with me? Okay. So I want us to be alert and present as we come to the table. So what I'm going to do is basically run through three quick sermons, three things that I think are so important to remember as we come to the communion table. We remember that Jesus is the new Passover lamb who's died for us. We remember that Jesus is a hospitable and gracious host. And we remember that we are what we eat. So, remember that he is the new Passover lamb. First, when we come to the communion table, we need to remember something. We are entering into not just a 2,000-year tradition. We are entering into a 3,000-year tradition. And we are coming to the communion table that was once a very different table. In Luke, he starts off the communion practice like this. He says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations to eat Passover. When the, when the disciples were going to experience the first communion, the Last Supper, were they prepared to take communion or were they instead going to practice Passover? How much do you think about that when you come to the communion table? We're entering into a much longer tradition they were thinking that they were experiencing just another Passover meal. And the Passover meal, of course, is a meal of remembrance. In Exodus, the biblical writer says this, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then you will say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. When he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, when he struck Egypt and delivered our houses, our households. Every year, this meal of Passover was practiced for over a thousand years by this point of Jesus doing the Last Supper. It was a meal of unleavened bread, of bitter herbs, and of course, the centerpiece being the lamb that was sacrificed for the protection of Israel, that they would be passed over. And they practiced this again and again, but Jesus takes this meal and he transforms it. 
into the meal we know now. And as we read the Last Supper, the First Communion, we are meant to be asking ourselves an essential question. Where is the lamb at the table? Because for Passover, lamb was the central part of the dish. But what the biblical writers are doing, what the gospel writers is they are layering in this idea, the lamb is not on the table, but he's sitting right at the table. Jesus puts it this way, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out. Or the way Luke starts it, he says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he's silently nodding to what Jesus is about to become. There's no lamb on the table. Jesus is taking that new place. He is becoming the new Passover lamb. And so when we come to the communion table, well, what do we do? We remember what Jesus has done. We do exactly what he says. We remember his death. We proclaim it as being a new Passover lamb who is for us. And though we are not slaves in Egypt, we are slaves to sin and death. We're enslaved to our brokenness, and we need someone to lead us out of exile. And Jesus will do that for us. And so the simple thing that we remember is Jesus is the new Passover lamb. When we take communion, we remember that week in and week out. Kids, can you remember that? Yes? Okay. Second, and this is where I think it gets really exciting, the first is probably something we do remember, but the second comes a little longer. He is the hospitable and gracious host. And to me, this means two things. And I want to start with Paul's letter to the Corinthians here. He says this in Corinthians 11. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there are differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead and make your own, with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. I love when Paul gets fiery like this. And like in the ESV translation, it, one of the sentences is just, what? He's like, what are you doing over in Corinth? But let's not gonna dive into this for a moment because what's happening? Well, Corinth is, Corinth is essentially a new church plant in the first century. And it's a mixture of all sorts of different people. It's beautiful to a certain extent. It's rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. It's the Christian dream. All these people, all these different backgrounds coming together. But what was happening is not the Christian dream in any way, shape, or form. Because when they would practice the communion supper, and in that first century, it was a whole meal, a love feast that was celebrated. Not these space cups. And all these people would get together, but what would happen is that the rich and the powerful and the affluent, they would get to the house maybe 2, 3 p.m., and they would start eating or drinking early because they could get off work. They had the power and the ability to. They were affluent, or maybe it would be in their own home. And so they would start the party early. But then the slaves, the servants, the housekeepers, those of lower status who wouldn't get off till much later would come to the feast and nothing would be left and people would have eaten all the food, drunk all the wine. It would be like going to a birthday and all that's left is like the cookie crumble of the cake left on the plate. All the goodie bags are given away, all the pizza's eaten and there's nothing for you. And you showed up on time, but everybody else started without you. 
It would be terrible. And so Paul is lighting up this church. What are you doing? Do you despise the church of God? Because this table is meant to be welcoming and inviting, a place for Jews and Gentiles, for rich and poor, for slave and free, for male and female, for parent and child, for conservative and liberal. All are welcomed to the table to celebrate. All feel the grace of God at the table, but what they are doing is making this not even God's table. And Paul is essentially saying this, you don't make the guest list. You don't choose who gets invited to the table. God does that. And what you're doing is removing that entirely. You're trying to make your own specialized guest list, but God makes the guest list. And the party should not start until everyone comes. And let's be honest. Here at St. Pete's, we are a rather mixed bag. We are all sorts of different people, and many of you would not choose to spend your Friday nights hanging out with us. And that's okay. That's the whole point. We are people of all walks of life coming together in one room. That is what the church of God looks like. But if we started the meal and made sure to leave out certain people, we are removing that barrier. We are, we are rebuilding the dividing wall that Paul says is broken here in Jesus. We are liberal and conservative, Canadian, Asian, African, and Latino. We are rich and poor, employed and unemployed, old and young. But all are invited to the table because God is writing the list. And to me, that's so exciting with what is happening at communion. And we need to remember, God is this gracious host inviting us to the table. When we come to the table, it's important to remember that everyone is invited. If you are a member of the family of God, you are invited to the table. We won't start without you. If you are in need of grace, come and eat. If you consider yourself part of the body, you are welcomed to the table. And churches sometimes put caveats and things like that. And if you're not sure, well, baptism in these is an easy thing, but you might not have been baptized yet as a kid, but you might call yourself part of the body, so come to the table. It's God's list. We don't make it. And I like to remind myself of that when I come to the table. And the second part about God being the host is so important. He's such a good and gracious host, and he's rewriting the role. John spends six chapters at the communion table, but he starts it with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus, of course, is hosting this dinner with his 12 followers, but he starts it in a shocking way. It says this in John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his feet, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. As the meal is going on, Jesus stacks on a second image to communion. And we should remember it every time we come to the communion table, this wild act of service. In the first century, this is shocking, but even today, this is shocking. I was chatting with some kids at the welcome table a few weeks ago, and I'd ask them, what are you up to today? And it was one of their birthdays, and they said they were having a bowling birthday party. Side note, I only want bowling birthday parties. I've had many in my 20s, and I expect to have many more in my 30s, because bowling birthday parties are the best. 
But imagine you're going to a bowling birthday party, you've got your present in hand, you're going to give it to the host, the birthday boy or girl, and you're so excited, and you come up to them, and they say, no, 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 I got you a present. And actually, as you take off your shoes, and you're going to switch into your bowling shoes, I got out a water basin, and I'm going to wash your feet. That's disgusting. I walk around in Vessies all day long. They literally trap in moisture. When I get home and put my feet on the couch, my wife throws a blanket over my feet because she's disgusted by me. A, few, a while ago, I was at a party, and there was like this table with snacks. We're all sitting there, chips and popcorn and candy and all this sort of stuff. And then a person took off their shoes and began to voraciously massage their feet. And it was like, okay, whatever. And then they reached into the chip bowl that everyone else was eating from. And I just, I was aghast. It's like, ugh, feet are gross. But let's read this story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet with the full intention that John is trying to do here because throughout all of John's gospel, he's trying to say, when you see Jesus, you see God. When you see Jesus, you see God. So let's rewrite this story very quickly because it should read like this. The God of the universe the creator of all that is seen and unseen from the largest star to the smallest atom, the creator of trees and mountains, birds, fish, bubbles, elephants, field mice, took on flesh and blood. He became human. And not to be praised as a king or a superstar, but instead to serve. And he showed he served, he showed he loved by washing the gross stinky, disgusting feet of 12 guys in the middle of nowhere. That story sounds different, right? But that's what we remember when we come to the table. I love what Paul writes. He, or First John, he says, um, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. God is hosting this table. He chooses the guest list, and he acts with complete and utter hospitality. He accepts us as we come to his table. He washes off our feet, our dirt, and our grime, and he welcomes us to it. Because it's in his nature, it's who he is. I love what Paul writes in Philippians. He says this, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. There's a book I read called um, Theosis, Theosis on the Cruciform Christ, and he spends two chapters of his book arguing about if the translation should say because or although. And his final translation, it should be because although. And what he means is that because Jesus is in the very nature of God, it is not antithetical or opposite that he's doing that. It's because he is in the nature of God that he does that. When you see Jesus washing his disciples' feet, you see the truest representation of God. And so when we come to the table, we are to remember God is a great and generous host. He invites us and he washes our feet before the table. And the final one, hopefully I'm not running too long. The final piece, when we come to the communion table, we remember we are what we eat. When I was a kid, my favorite meal was macaroni and cheese. I just had it last night, again, 
and it's incredible. It's still good. But the cheesy noodles, the bright orange, like no food should be any other color. It should just be that. But in the early 2000s, there was a commercial of this bright orange glowing kid eating a pot of macaroni and cheese. And then he says, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And in the same way, when we come to the communion table, we are becoming what we eat. I love what Tish Harrison Warren says in the book uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. She says, in this way, the act of eating reorients us from an independent existence towards one that is interdependent. We feast on Christ and thereby mysteriously together into one body, are formed together into one body, the body of Christ. When we come to the communion meal, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. The church. And throughout Paul's letters, what does Paul call the church? The body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, each one of you part of it. Or in Romans, he says, So in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. Or in Ephesians, he says, So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Again and again, this image that the church, we are the body of Christ. And that means when we come to the table, we as the body of Christ communally are eating the body of Christ. And by eating the body of Christ, we are claiming we are part of the body of Christ. That's wild. I just came across this idea this past few weeks and it blew my mind. We as the body are being sustained by the body to be the body. When we come to the table, we remember we are the body of Christ and we are being sustained by it. And it begs the question, if we are the body of Christ, well, how do we live? How do we act? We go back to the story of Jesus washing the feet because he ends washing the feet by saying this. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In Kids Church, we have an incredible way that we say this. We say we copy Jesus, but it's hard to copy Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit helps us. Kids, can you help me with that? Yeah? Okay. We copy Jesus... But it's hard to copy Jesus, so the Holy Spirit helps us. Jerry said I would plug that you guys should join St. Pete's Kids. If you just want to learn about faith in the easiest possible way, Rachel has done an incredible job walking these kids through and learning about faith. And week in and week out, she tells me about what they're learning, and it blows my mind. Join St. Pete's Kids. That is my plug. Because they're learning this incredible thing as the body of Christ. When we come to the communion table, we are being reminded the Spirit is helping us to remember that it is hard to copy Jesus, so he's helping us, but our goal is to be like Jesus. And so it means as, this, as we partake in this meal, this table informs all other tables. Because as Jesus is the great and generous host, as he writes a guest list that is the whole world inviting in, and as he washes our feet, he says to us, do the same. So, over your meals over the next week, I just want you to ask a question. How does the table I am eating at become a reflection 
of the table I eat at every Sunday. How can this table become more and more like God's table? Because when we come to the communion table, we experience grace, love, forgiveness, acceptance, welcome. But then we are to go and be hosts of grace at every single table. Every table at every home becomes an opportunity to show love and grace and, and welcome and hospitality. Every table in every restaurant becomes a place where we can welcome others with love and the same love that God welcomed us. But that's for you to imagine how your table will look. So kids, this week, ask your parents, how can our table look more like the communion table? How can we be hosts like God? So three things when we come to the communion table. First, of course, we remember Jesus is the new Passover lamb. He dies for us. He forgives our sins. He brings a way out of slavery. Second, we remember that he is the great and generous host. He is inviting everyone to come, and he washes our feet on the way. And third, we are what we eat. Every time we come to the table, we are being formed more and more into the image of Jesus. How does that sound? Repetition is so important. It works a practice into your brain so you don't even need to think about it. But when you come to this table, remember to remember, I am welcomed. With that, I'll say let's eat. Let's take part in the Lord's Supper. Let's practice this today. And let me pray and then I'll turn it over to Lloyd.